0: that I've been very excited to get to in Acts chapter 2. Before before we actually jump into this, I want to share just a couple of important things about what you see in front of you, and if you are online, one of the opportunities you have to be able to uh, connect with us. So if at any point during this morning, you know, you feel like you need to be prayed for if something is going on in your life if you have questions about what we're talking about, I want to encourage you to uh, to fill out one of those connection cards or to find someone Uh, audience, I guess, I don't know what else to, uh, to call you, but we want you to know that even though our time together ends in about seven hours, after that, <laughs> you still can communicate with us throughout the course uh, of the week, and that's going to be very important. One of the things I have really enjoyed about this time that we've had together so for these past couple of uh, almost months now is, is the dialogue. It's been really Chapter two, verses forty-two through forty-six, and we've been taking each week to sort of look at one aspect of what the church is and why it is important that, through such a, a crazy time in our culture, that the church continue to to press on. In other words, there has never been a time in the course of human history where the church has not faced uh, massive obstacles. I, I mean, with a capital M. And uh, one of the beautiful things about the church is that it, it always perseveres. It, it is going to persevere um, because Jesus said it and that's true for our lives in him also. And so we're coming at this, uh, at least for these, these early days in our new home, and our new facility, uh, while people are still, you know, uh, some folks are ready to be in a room like this, some are not. Um, I really wanted to focus on why it is important that we not forget, and maybe even in some way refresh the significance of what the church is and why it actually matters and so today uh, we're going to continue to look at these aspects of what took place in the early church and i give you my disclaimer every week that a lot of folks like to read what's going on here in acts 2 and they they sort of have this idea that the church at one point in history was a utopia um, and it really wasn't this church had its own challenges uh, as the church spread throughout the world, it had challenges. You can read every single book in the New Testament, and you'll find Paul Bert both encouraging and, and challenging the body uh, to grow in some areas. And so, I guess in some ways, what I want to say is: difficulty, blessing, success, failure, uh, trial—all of these things are are normal grounds. Not just in the life of the church, but even in our own uh, personal lives, we probably. They, speaking of the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so over the past weeks, we have looked at a handful of these aspects. Uh, The first thing we discussed was that they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. And in a quick summary, what that simply means is they had committed their lives to the story of Jesus Christ. This is what the apostles are the messengers of, the, of this, at least at this time in history, of this, this new message that has entered the world. And they then begin to take this message to the parts of the world that Jesus commanded them to in the very early chapter of Acts, bring it to the world, in other the Lord. And so there's a, a clear and significant aspect in this, this passage that we can never forget, and that is that they are devoted to, to a very particular truth, the truth of Jesus, and that matters, because that truth informs every other aspect outside of this arena, the Christian faith, like I said, is not reduced to one hour a week, this should hopefully be a time for uh, encouragement, refreshing, to, to move you out into your natural spheres of influence, and we talk about the concept of the kitchen table, that we should really look at life and the church family as, as a healthy kitchen table, where uh, dialogue is encouraged, and disagreement is okay, and questioning is okay, but we do it with a spirit of love, knowing that we want a family to grow uh, together in the goodness of God, and we very particularly pointed out last week the, some of the blessings and the challenges of living in uh, a consumer-oriented culture, and this this attitude, this sort of zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, is definitely having an effect on a lot of things. I mean, any any group of people gathering in any single way that goes to like how you meet the church or how you shop, it's changed. This whole past eight months has changed uh, the face of the earth as. You know, what I even noticed last week that you know we talked at length about uh, the, the reciprocal need for healthy relationship. That it's a mutual partnership. Particularly, the church is referenced as a as a koinonia, a, a, a mutual family that that gives and receives. It's interesting now that I, I noticed like there is no such thing as Black Friday anymore because all the Black Friday sales started like two weeks ago. Now it's just sort of like Friday. I mean, it's spread out over over four months, and I'm getting all these emails. It's like we can't contain ourselves. So um, the spirit of consumerism has a place in our world, but we need to be mindful that it does not drive or dictate our pursuit of Jesus and certainly the way we understand um, people in our lives because that really can become a very imbalanced and unhealthy relational paradigm. And so that brings us to what we're talking about today. We we ended last week talking about the mutual sharing of faith. God puts us in communities all across the world, they look different, they they have different, they're proclaiming the same message, but they might do it in a different way, they have a different objective, there's a a beautiful unity in the diversity of God's church globally. And what it is built upon is this mutual sharing of faith, this this mutual love for the teaching of the apostles, this mutual love for uh, Jesus and our neighbor. And right out of this, we read in Acts chapter 2 something pretty interesting. The, uh, the 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 apostles, excuse me, are, are devoted, in addition to the things we talked about, they were also devoted to uh, the breaking of bread. Now, if you're with us for the first time, we've changed the format here uh, on Sunday's meeting. There are going to be some places throughout this time of teaching where I'm going to throw some questions at you and let you interact with what we're discussing. And this is the place where we will first do this. In Acts chapter 2, we read that the apostles were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, there are several characteristics. Here's my first question. There are several characteristics that define the early church here in Acts. We just summarized a few of them. Has anyone noticed something different about the act of breaking bread when compared to the other actions in this passage? There is something different, and I'll I'll even reread it just so that we can reframe it. Uh, There is something different about this statement. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in their family. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's something unique about this term, breaking bread, and uh, I'm wondering, just from a cursory reading of that passage, if any of you have any observations about it. It's not done singularly. It looks like there's always a group of people or whatever that are doing it together. OK, so uh, the, the concept of breaking bread is in community, right? It is uh, not done alone. I think this text absolutely that. What else? It certainly relates to the Last Supper. Okay, interesting. So, um, so why would you say it relates to the Last Supper? I'm just curious. Oh, because Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. And so they are remembering Him. They're preaching the gospel and remembering Him. Okay. So, this is a physical act that they're doing with a broken body, remembering Him. Okay, so in Acts 2, we're, we're taught about the breaking there's another there's another passage in another verse that talks about breaking bread correct read there's two two references
1: Aside okay. from just, well, I have to eat a meal, too. This is a time that I can be with other people. I can fellowship. I can make it something bigger than just sitting down and shoving my face full of food.
0: Okay, so you're connecting um, the act of breaking bread eating together with the, obviously, this is why we use the reference of the kitchen table, because it, it. food does have a bit of a neutralizing effect, particularly if you cook it well. On <laughs> uh, um, the people that sit around your uh, table. It's more than just food, it does relationship. Yeah.
2: It commemorates the Passover
1: meal.
0: Okay, so if, uh, the breaking bread is a, a commemoration of the Passover meal. What In other words, yes, it's a, it is an absolute remembrance of what God has done for us. Now, I, I want to stop here for a moment because um, even though I've not explicitly said it, you have all explicitly referenced it. Uh, we are talking about two different types of bread-breaking here, are we not? The first one we read about in Acts, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and then we read further on that they were essentially breaking bread in, in their homes. Okay, um, There is a, a, a reference here to two different types of bread-breaking, you both you both have set up? There is a direct reference to the Lord's Supper, and I'll explain why that is the case in a moment. And then there is a reference to the common act of, of being together and eating with each other. And I'm I'm curious if you have a you know phone pulled up or you have Act Two pulled up. Can you can you while the, while breaking bread is mentioned twice in this passage, there is one thing that that qualifies the first breaking bread as something different. Can any of you see what what the difference is in the language? Uh, Luther uses here. They were
2: teaching and fellowshipping together, which would indicate they were in some type of formal assembly, and, uh, and then after they broke the bread, they had prayer. So all those characteristics of that gathering was probably an assembly of worship versus the other one, which is just kind of talking about
0: getting together in their homes and having a bread breaking. Okay. okay, so in case you didn't hear this, uh, there's, there's two contexts. One is rooted in the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer. It does seem like there is an element of corporate worship going on here, while the second one explicitly references breaking bread in the home. So one, uh, not that both of these are important, but one seems to be more formal in nature, and one seems to be more natural in nature, like Katie was saying a few moments ago, the common act of, of eating together. What else do you think? The context gives us some significant clues. Perhaps the greatest significant clue is in what looks like the most insignificant word in this uh, in this passage as far as why we can delineate and will delineate. We're going to have two different teachings on the breaking of the bread, what we're talking about today, and then breaking bread in our, our homes.
2: Devoted to. The first one
1: said they were devoted to something.
0: Okay, so there's a singular devotion to a very
1: particular action. Not to go all grammar nerd on you, but the first one is a present participle. (laughs) So it's a noun. (laughs) There's a gerund being used, the breaking of bread. So it's, you've got an article, the, and then, pardon me, I teach grammar on Fridays to our school group. (laughs) And then the second one is actually the verb. They're breaking, the action of breaking bread. So one is a noun, it's like, Referencing, there is some sort of an event associated with it, and then the second one is they're doing it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so now we're going to get into some ground which is actually important. By the way, the word, <laughs> word gerund, it, it always, <laughs> every time I hear it, it, makes me think of like that's that's something you call somebody in middle school. But
1: like,
0: you're right, and we we actually can we can take all of that, which actually is relevant here. Yeah and simplify it down to the, the article. And by the article, I simply mean one of these things talks about the breaking of bread, and the other one talks about they broke bread. And in there actually is such a thing in the Greek known as a definite article, and it, it, it qualifies, just like it does in English, something into a sort of a, a very it's a very particular uh, way of describing something. And so let me give you an example of this. Um, if I were to sort of like bring, like, let's just say we just met for the first time in the back and Corinne uh, was with me, my wife, and I said, you no, know, it wouldn't be the best ground, but I said, hey, this is Corinne. she's the wife, right? <laughs> that would imply that she's the wife, like my wife. But if I said, this is Corinne, a wife, then, uh, that would imply something very different, right? Um, a wife, uh, first of all, she was a wife. I'd probably have a television show on the Discovery Channel. (laughs) (laughs) My my own reality TV show. Something like, you know, um, Passers and Polygamy or something like that. (laughs) Anyways, the the point is that that little word, right? You take away two letters, the A, and and, and it's, it's two dramatically different meanings. One refers to, like, singularness. The other refers to a plurality of something. And so, when you start to layer all these things together, it becomes very clear that this... First type of breaking bread, it's not breaking bread, it's the breaking of, and depending on what English translation you're reading, some of them will actually put of the bread again. And the idea here is that this is a reference not to eating meals together. That comes later. That's a a natural part of Christian fellowship. But this is a reference to the fact that there that on the day we actually talk about communion, it being so central to the life of the body of Christ that we actually sort of inaugurate it together um, physically here in this room. And for those of you that are at home, um, you know, join us in whatever way you can. And so so this is interesting. Uh, It's referring to two acts. And what I I like about this is that it actually further solidifies what Jesus says, that that part of the lineage, the reason reason we do what we do, there's a why behind. There is a direct uh, reflection on who Jesus is and what he has done. And that reflection, no matter how many thousands of years we get away from the centrality of the cross in our lives and the text in the Bible, it's meant to be at the epicenter of who, of who we are when we understand our relationship with Jesus. And so let me, let me sort of ask another question now, since I think at least we've clearly delineated that this breaking of bread is not talking about eating supper together, this is talking about the act of the Lord's subordination. Is it important that we take communion as Christians? There is the do this in remembrance of me. So we can we could simply say this is a, a command. And uh, anytime Jesus gives us a command, we could absolutely just take the authoritarian road and say, well, he told us to do so, and we would be correct in that. But I wanna I wanna sort of massage the heart a little bit today and ask why why do we think that it is important to remember?
2: John, Jesus says that he's the bread, and he kind of, he alludes to the manna in the Old Testament. And so, in some ways, you know, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, eventually they got sick of the manna, and they complained about the manna, and they didn't want it anymore, and they sort of lost the idea of the wonder of it. I wonder if Jesus is saying over time, that can happen to you. So, I want you to remember that I'm the bread, I'm the one sustaining and so I need you to keep going back to it. I need you to not forget about it. I need you to do something intentional that reminds you of who I am and how vital I am to you.
0: Okay, so that's an excellent point. And if you didn't hear it on this side of the room, um, I think what you're talking about is, is what I would like to call spiritual sustenance. The idea is that this bread, since we know, if, if you've taken it to before, you know that it's not enough food. So when we relate this to the realm of the spiritual, um, there is this idea of continually feeding on uh, on the person and the nature and the goodness and the grace of who Jesus is. And so the continuity of this is actually important. It is designed, without question, to to help us remember on a regular basis. Especially if you think about eating eating like. Um, Jesus in the Gospel of John refers to himself as the bread of life I actually taught a bunch of sermons on that many, many, many years ago and uh, he literally refers to himself as spiritual food like our, our need to go to him and stay rooted in him is one of the uh, most significant aspects of what makes the Christian life the Christian life is what keeps us sort of vibrant and, and healthy so absolutely uh, it also can become, I mean, running with your analogy, uh, I do think that, you know, sometimes the bread can get stale, and I'm not ever arguing for the fact that, that Jesus is stale, but I do think you, you can see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that sometimes God's provision of the way he interacts with us, although it is absolutely what we need, we can get to places in our life where we uh, we might feel like we need something different, or we, we might seek a different type of sustenance in life. But the idea of this is that we we raise an knees and we Drop an anchor on the reality that Jesus is essential to the Christian life, and we should never forget who He is. Great. What What else do we think about this? Why is it important um, that we that we actually have this in our minds and in our hearts?
2: I was thinking of, of reading that passage of when they came together, that they were, if they had anything against their brother or sister, that they were to take care of that. And then to and then to partake, and um, I, it always when I think of having the Lord's Supper, I do think about what do I have against those that I'm with, and I, I this morning found myself with attitudes and you know particularly in the environment of the political environment and such that um, have really been not good, and um, so that that has always been a, a factor.
0: So this is an excellent point. Uh, what, what's being raised on is mentioning that communion, right, taking of the Lord's Supper, is meant to be a point of, of introspection. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, And when we, when we actually read further on down the line as we get into the epistles, Paul literally tells us that uh, some of what you just mentioned precedes the Lord's Supper, meaning we should evaluate who we With our brothers or sisters. The, the idea, if you think about this, if, if we're talking about do this in remembrance of me, the cross, the cross is the ultimate agent of reconciliation. And so between God and
3: man. And so if we're gonna if we're gonna take it regularly, it should actually have a
0: real world application. And one of the one of the things that uh, I believe the Lord's Supper is meant to reinforce and keep in mind when I say this, I don't mean we should only do this when we take the Lord's Supper. This is sort of, maybe, maybe that's the, the crowning reminder point, but if any of you have lived on this earth for like more than seven minutes, you know that it doesn't take but about three minutes to have the, uh, you, you drive down Dunlop and get angry and, and, and sin against another person in a car when you want to ram them off the road because they cut you off so badly and you all are looking at me like you've never had that thought and you're all lying. So make sure before we take communion this morning you repent of that. I know some people, they drive as if the world is not around them. So yes, there is a, there's a point of reflection that we are, we're going to look at that and understand that and apply it. And what it should do is bring about a sense of, uh, and I mean this in a good way, it's a gentle reminder of who we are and who we are not yet in, in Jesus. And Paul also, in a lot of those passages that, that really give definition um, to the Lord's Supper. When, when we talk about it here, we always encourage people to think about what is keeping you from taking it. And I'll mention that to you here in a moment. We're not trying to make this something that's uh, exclusive. We're trying to say when Paul says, "You know, think about your heart before you take communion." His desire is that you would you would think about your heart and turn it to Jesus and take communion. It's, his hope is not that he would shove people far away, but that does require us to actually get to a place where we where we are reflecting on Jesus enough that we we really recognize the need for repentance in areas in our lives. Whether that might be like the capital R, like we recognize our need for Christ, or we recognize that we are holding or anger or something against another person. So, let, let me ask you this. We're going I want to take this and massage it a little more uh, thoroughly. So, we're starting to talk about the implications of why Jesus says to do this in remembrance of me. I want to know why. Think, think of all the things Jesus did on earth, well, the recorded things that we have in the scripture. Out of all the things that he said to do in remembrance of him, he picks this. Think about your own life. Like, if you had one thing to say to every person you knew, like, when you remember me, when you think of me, let it be it, th- this way, okay? Think, think awesome. about that in your own life. Maybe maybe something you would say, well, you know, I tried to be a, a really hard worker, or I tried to be a, you know, a really good parent, or a sibling, or whatever it is. The thing you'd want to be most remembered for. Jesus is like, as we get into his his last words, which were pretty, pretty much on the precipice of, he's having this supper with his, or at least I'm recounting what's taking place that Luke is talking about, he's having this supper um, with his uh, disciples and they have no idea that he's going to the cross, they have no idea about the the sort of metaphorical language he's using in that meeting, they just think they're having another supper with Jesus and then within 24 hours the world changes dramatically for all of them, he's hung on a cross and they're, they're running for their lives, so, and all the things... Why do you think it is significant that he says this? Do this in remembrance of me. It's a direct refre- uh, reflection of his life his, his, uh, and his death on the cross for us. Why is that important? Well,
1: I don't think he's referencing anything one specific. He's actually referencing, to me anyway, his whole life. Do this in remembrance of me not specifically dying on the cross or feeding the people or whatever he's not specifying any one act that he did it's really his total life that he's asking them to remember
0: yes uh so if you catch us on the other side you you are right that when we talk about doing when we talk about following jesus i like to say his death burial resurrection and ascension like those are four big words but that's pretty much the life of jesus and there is no question that uh, a life that is pursuing Jesus should learn from each one of those things and, and apply them in life. But this is actually a statement connected to to his death. That doesn't mean that he's excluding his life, uh, what he's done. And and we can obviously make an argument, a very strong one, that part of his life was was his death on the cross. Here, when we like when we take a in a moment and we read from Matthew, uh, it's literally referring to his broken. And he spilled blood. And so there there is no doubt that um, a statement like this certainly does encapsulate his whole life. But for some reason, he drills right into this this centerpiece. Um, I love how what a a guy read a lot of it calls this, it's Jesus' sort of like the, the, the climax of the covenant. Like everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the cross, and everything that happens after... The cross is pointing back to it. slammed in the middle of the story of god is this is this act and um and i'm just curious why why do you bring greater attention to that not that these other things are not important don't get me saying like i'm not trying to lessen them i'm just trying to to bring sort of an illuminated um like there's something different about this he says this is what you will remember me by
2: about our faith hangs on, and yet if I think about the conversations I have with people. I often talk about how Jesus loves them or you know how great it is to be part of a community or fellowship, but I wonder how often do I sit and talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which that's the crux of it, but yet I think sometimes as we walk through the world, that's the thing that people are most uncomfortable with. That's the supernatural thing that kind of seems. And yet, that's the crux. And so often, it gets kind of pushed behind just the fact that Jesus loves you.
0: Yeah. So that's a really interesting point. Is that even um uh, even in proclaiming that Jesus loves you, which is true, uh, <laughs> one. Of It's a a rather brutal one, actually, if you understand the Roman crucifixion process. But it's it's pretty astounding that any any comment we make about Jesus can be traced back to his life, obviously, but can sort of find its ultimate culmination in the the cross. truly is the epicenter of of all life. So um, I say this a lot. Think think, of it from this angle. Uh, Sacrificial living. Can we tether this to the cross? How? How do each other, when we say we should be thinking about our neighbor and sacrificing for others, in this text obviously they were meeting each other's needs. What, what does the cross inform us or how does it inform us with sacrificial? Absolutely. I mean, on the cross, we see the ultimate. This is Bruce Waltke's language, not mine. But we see one who disadvantages self for the sake of others. Right. That's the nature of the cross. Is Jesus? um, There's not a whole lot of benefit that comes out of the cross, except for his fidelity to God and and his love for us. Those are significant things. But if you look at this in a purely consumeristic, transactional way. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why would somebody own a problem that isn't isn't his? And this is again where we see that there is a there's a, a compulsion from Jesus to to love us in a way to where he 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 is the agent of reconciliation between God and, him. and that should absolutely um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll give our lives for Christ, but it does mean that we should be giving our lives for Christ. Does that make make sense the distinction there? Like um I actually think it's probably a little bit easier to to die for Jesus than it is to live sixty or seventy years for him on earth. That's just my opinion. You may disagree. And I don't do this when you tell me that, right? I mean you think about it, right? Like death comes quick. Now I'm not saying it's not bad. Um, but then there's the idea of like eternity with God. But following Jesus for our whole lives, that that can be very um uh, beautiful and painful and um, a struggle and a challenge. It's a joy. It's a blessing. Uh, but it, there's a mixed bag of emotions that often come with pursuing Jesus for the rest of your days. And so, uh, so you're right. Sacrifice. And, uh, absolutely, we find its its root, at least its climactic root in the in the cross. Uh, what, what about some some other attitudes? This is the last thing I want to talk about before we actually take communion. But think think about this. We're we're trying to connect the dots between doing this in remembrance of me, being far more than some set of rote words that we, we state uh, or some mechanical action that we do, uh, it actually is meant to shape life. It's meant to shape our spiritual life and our physical life. So what are some of the, the attitudes and actions that, that should arise out of a life that truly is doing this in remembrance of Jesus. What what types of words and deeds or heart attitudes should we expect to see? And I'm using that word expect in lowercase e. There's no utopian expectation here. But as we talk about growing in Jesus, what are some of the attitudes and actions that that truly understanding communion should produce in our lives? Attributes, characteristics. Well, I the world.
3: reason that he went to the cross was for our sin. And I think a lot of us can get burdened down by our sin, by the weight of sin, by the weight of our sin or the weight of sin in the world. Even Tana talking about coming in and just feeling the weight of it, whether it was put on her or her, I do the same. It's a reminder that, like, we don't have to pay the price. It's already been paid. That's not saying we get to sin even more, like the Bible says freedom doesn't give us the freedom to sin more but it's a reminder, it points us to the point of it all the crux of it all our sin has been paid we don't have to bear the weight of it we now get to obey not because we have to earn our salvation like some religions we get to obey we get to grow and mature in Christ and sanctify ourselves let him sanctify us because of there's freedom. I think there's a difference in other religions when you've got to earn your way into heaven versus our way's already been paid. Now because of this, we are given the wonderful opportunity to serve him. So I would say sin. I mean, that's a huge one. You don't have to wear the weight of it anymore.
0: Sure. And you know, you can see this this idea of, of the cross's current application in our lives. It, it deals with sin, past tense, like when we, when we finally come to a place where we recognize that we are a uh, sinner, we need Christ. But then there's also the application of what this can do in our lives on a daily basis. And I heard it put, I, I thought, at least in a very articulate way, many years ago, that um, the cross addresses the, the power of sin, meaning, like, as far as, we, when we read the Bible, like, sin is defeated on the cross, but its presence still remains in, uh, in the world and in our lives. And so it's one thing to live in a world where, where sin is present. It's another thing to be bound under its power. Um, one one of those words, presence, simply means that you have a new set of eyes to look at things through. And because you've, because you've experienced the great grace of God on the cross and have recognized the tragedy of sin and how it can wreck our own lives and others uh, and how it bereaves the heart of our God and our King, the Son, of it, it actually allows us to distinguish We don't carry that burden alone. So there there truly is, I'm not trying to argue for cheap grace or an abusive type of grace here. Neither am I arguing for any type of legalism or moralism. But there's sort of a sweet spot in the middle that allows us to recognize that the yoke of Jesus is light for those who who follow him. And uh, you had in the first century world a lot of religions religious standards that were literally killing um, people attempting to follow God. Powers, meaning there is a greater power that lives in us now, There is his Holy Spirit, so it's very significant that, uh, that we don't just see the cross as a past tense event, we recognize it as a, a present day, immediate, every single moment of life event. What, what else? What about ad- attitudes? Like, um, when, when I think about this um, humility, It's almost as if you believe you've done something uh, for, for God. So I'm curious, what about gentleness or or, or humility? Do, do we think, uh, or empathy, like when we really understand the cross beyond a theological discussion, when it actually begins to affect the, the layers of our hearts, it should deeply begin to affect the way we understand our own lives and our lives um, in relationship with other people. Can you think of any other... Maybe tangible acts, or t- tangible words, or deeds that that the, uh, a life focus on the remembrance of what Jesus did for us, and how that shapes life. Attitude of thankfulness. Okay, thankfulness, right? Um, even in a world where where maybe we don't, you know, the economy of thankfulness in our world is is very different, and some people might have an awful lot to give thanks for, and some people might feel like. They the cross is, at the very least, I always say this every Christmas, at the very least, and by at the very least, I really don't mean at the very least, the, any any person in Jesus can recognize that God the Father, my goodness, has, has poured his love out for us, and that is the root of all thanksgiving, that even if the world gives you nothing to be thankful for, uh, in Jesus, you, you can be thankful, because God is he's given you his best, is all, absolutely, what else? go through the act of taking the communion gives you the idea that Christ is indwelling in you, indwelling in the Holy Spirit. And I think that there's a certain amount of strength that you give, strength and comfort that you can draw from it <clears throat> because it does remind you that the Holy Spirit is within you. Yes. Yeah. so you're bringing up the, uh, the, the literal presence of the Spirit in us. Yeah. And um, it, it isn't like we have more Holy Spirit more presence with Jesus. I mean, we get His, we get His whole presence when we come to Him. We obviously can quench that and do things that can, uh, we, we can build roadblocks and impediments between us and God, that's for sure. But one of the things that that I think is critical when we understand uh, how, and how we understand communion is that it does remind us, it's supposed to anyways, that um, the reason Paul says, you know, think about what you do before you do this, it's because you and the Holy Spirit are taking that uh that bread and that you are both remembering that that sacrifice of Christ and it should not be taken lightly. And so you're right, it is it is a it is a deeply significant act that has uh, an incredible depth when it comes to the spiritual reminder it gives us. That uh, Jesus after his ascension sends his spirit into the world and his spirit lives in every single person that uh, that is that that loves Christ, that has cast their affection on his and that is a pretty significant thing when you think about that. That you walk out of here you know, with, the, with the spirit of Jesus Christ in you, this Holy Spirit. And I do think communion. I've seen it go one of two ways. It either gets it can get a little crazy sometimes. Um, like you, you might uh, <coughs> have studied in the history about this. Uh, Christians in the early church, because they talked about eating the body, which we literally say. There was actually some Roman accusation against them for cannibalism. Like they thought that uh, they thought that this. Think about this. Uh, Two thousand years ago, this is a new. It's not a new faith in the sense that it was new to God. But it's <coughs> how uh, what Jesus did is affecting the world. And so when when you heard like, hey, there's a group of religious. people Why we do it, and that's really the uh, the sort of attitude I would like to direct us towards as we as we take communion this morning. And I want to uh, take a moment just to explain to you how, how this is going to work. If you if you are with us for any amount of time at the theater, it's going to be very different. It has to be by nature. Um, normally, I would take up a, a block of time at the end of my teaching, and I talk through uh, a couple of things, and then we have servers pass out baskets of bread, uh, you know, cut pita bread and Reduce costs, but we, we can't and and won't do any of that until it's safe again. So uh, as you were coming in, we tried to grab everybody and asked you to take one of actually one of one of these. And this I find this is a joke for me because you know that I appreciate humor and I have made fun of these so many times in the twenty one years of my knowing Jesus. Um, and now God is forcing me to use <laughs> so, so it's crazy. Like uh, I want you to know this. This communion um, comes with a 3% convenience fee, all right? Because of the way it's designed. But, but I am thankful we have it because it's truly the only way we can get something in your hands where only you uh, touch uh, both of the elements. And so um, here's here's what's going to happen. Uh, if you are concerned about your hands, just sanitize it. Don't, don't. I don't want this to, to feel awkward at all. Things are different. Take a moment. Clean your hands. If you're uncomfortable taking communion right now, that's totally okay, too. So we don't want, you know, the, the juice and this little wafer here is not what makes communion, communion. How we understand what this really represents is what makes uh, communion, communion. And So uh, I do want to carry over one tradition, at least for today. We'll, we'll formalize this as we, you know, pick up this rhythm month after month here. But I, if you have ever been with us, you know that I'd like to read two verses to you from communion uh, or about communion in the... Uh, that comes from the Bible in the, in the Gospel of, of Matthew. And I want to read to you both of these verses. First, Matthew 26, 26. Having gathered his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread. Keep in mind, this is the bread that Luke is talking about in what we just studied. The Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. So the idea behind this this is really a, a small little Eucharistic tab, but the idea behind this is that when you feel that crunch in your mouth, it, it should, to a certain degree, remind us of the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for us, of the uh, of the pain that he endured for us to be able to know God in deep and meaningful ways. And then uh, we go on to in verses 27 through 28. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is given And what I love about the the contrast for us to be in a beautiful, right, and meaningful relationship with Jesus. And so what, what we're going to do now, Abe, maybe you just pick your way up here and strum a little ditty. Uh, <clears throat> what we'll do is, I, if you do not have a little cup, uh, just you can just sort of wave your hand and somebody will run you one. If you do have a cup, I want to invite you to read the Apostles' Creed with us. This is a tradition in our church, and you will find it on your song sheet. Uh, In a few weeks, you'll be seeing these most likely on very large TVs to the left and the right of you. But uh, we, as a church family, always recite the Apostles' Creed together. These are the the tenets of the Christian faith. And keep in mind, these are not just uh, theological ideas. These are truths that really reveal the heart of God. Uh, and, and his love and his care for us. And so, uh, if you are comfortable, you're not going to get into it at all, but if you are comfortable, what I'll do is I will lead us in this uh, reading, and we'll read it together, openly, and then I'll give you some final instructions on, on how to take communion. The Apostles Creed. this is on the second, the back side of your worship sheet. You. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church. right now is encourage you to respond to Jesus in the way that he leads you. I'll sort of exit from speaking here in one moment. Focus on sort of the the music. Let God sort of massage your ears and your heart. Think about your life. Think about how you will respond. Uh, Typically at the end of each gathering we have a moment of reflection, of response, and we use communion. There's no, no better option that we are presented than to use communion as this time. So when you think about your life in jesus if you have questions about who he is or struggles with that let us know that if you have questions about our our church or your role in the world with god's mission how he has created you how he's wired you if you if you are lamenting over something right now and need a, a prayer or a shoulder to cry on if you are literally living on a, on a mountaintop and are just in Speaks directly to you to, to really follow him wherever he takes you. This is also a time, uh, particularly for Gospel Partners members, who receive our tithes and our offerings. And so, as we have this time of prayer and reflection, if you're a partner, uh, we've committed to support the mission and ministry of restoration mutually. If you're visiting with us, we simply ask that you do as the Lord leads. If you're in this room, you can drop your cards and your your gifts in our giving towers. If you are an online viewer, uh, they are the host of online methods. We really, do the same. I do encourage you, though, at your own at your own leisure. What you'll do is uh, I don't need to be redundant here, but these are sealed. They might even look a little purple, but that's just the rim of the cup. You can peel the tab back and take the eucharist, and then there's a secondary sort of tab where the uh, juice is. And so I will step away and give you all a couple of minutes to think, pray, and process, and take communion at your own discretion. Father, now we pray you bless this time, lead our hearts to a deeper love for you, and let us truly do this in remembrance of you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Today, uh, anyone listening to this, anyone we know that needs to hear this message, would truly set their eyes upon your goodness and your grace and your Son as you would bless this time and use it, God, to encourage us as we leave this place and carry the witness of your gospel, of your truth, uh, to the world that we live and work and play in this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would uh, please stand with me, uh, I encourage you, please take that cup and drop it in a trash can on the way out. And after that, I'm cycling cross really does show us how much God loves us and how much God loves you individually as a person. So no matter how you came into this room, I pray you will leave knowing that the, the full weight of the love of God, uh, God has poured himself out for you, loves you, and cares for you, and that you would leave with that encouragement. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.